20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. We finished up day 12 of Packers practice inside the Don Hudson Center. Unfortunately, it was raining. It was scheduled to be one of the practices that was open to the public, but due to the weather, it was you know, hosted indoors and not open to the public. It did have a bit of a sluggish feel to the practice. It was a Monday. It was raining. There was no fans there, which I think makes the energy a little bit less. They didn't have the music like they do outside, at least not. I, I don't think they had any music. If they did, I, I don't either recall hearing it or it was very, very uh, low, not like it is outside when it's blaring outside. So it just had a little bit of a lethargic feel and it was just like everyone that was there. Um, even like I said uh, in the Quick Hits episode, like even like the, the media on the sideline felt like it, it was just, I don't know, it just had that sort of feel to it. And when you get to sort of the, the dog days of summer and training camp a little bit, bit and you're on day 12 and you had like the excitement last week of the Bengals, you know, going to Cincinnati in the joint practices. And this week you coming up, you've got Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And then you've kind of got this one random practice in the middle of it. And it just had that sort of feel to it. And that's going to happen at everyone's training camps. I've thought overall that the intensity of all of their practices so far have been fantastic. And you could really tell that it has been, you know, highly focused, highly energetic, and just, you know, really honed in on trying to get better day in and day out. This was the first one I thought in all training camp or just had, like I said, a little bit of that sluggish feel to it. And, you know, Matt LaFleur sort of noticed it as well. He got everyone together mid-practice, tried to get everyone pumped up. And I did feel like they responded to that. And the second half of practice was a little bit better. And it wasn't like terrible or anything. The one-on-ones were competitive. I thought the team activities were competitive. It just, like I said, it just had that sluggish feel to it. And again, that's, that's going to happen at this point of camp to every team for a practice here or there. Um, let's go over the injury situation before we get into all the key takeaways, because sluggish practice or not, there was still a ton of takeaways from this practice. First and foremost, I don't think anything major or concerning at this point, but Kenny Clark was out with a back injury. He was on the exercise bikes over to the side alongside David Bakhtiari and Caleb Jones. Hopefully it's nothing long-term. You remember he did not play in the, the preseason game, did not dress, and it seems like they're sort of being cautious with him like they were with Jair. Now, the good news is Jair did return to practice. He did individual drills, did not do any team drills. So they're still being cautious with him as well, but he did return to practice, which was great to see. Your total players who did not practice in any capacity included Kenny Clark, as mentioned, Tariq Carpenter, Lou Nichols, Eric Stokes, Innes Gaines, Caleb Jones, David Bakhtiari on another rest day, uh, Tyler Goodson, Corey Ballantyne, Luke Tenuta, and Tyler Davis. So not still like no major numbers on the injury list, but you do have nine players who are now out uh, with injuries, which does limit you a little bit. You still have 82 active you know, players on the roster. My assumption is that Tyler Davis is probably going to go on IR pretty quickly here. And then after that, they will you know, pick up somebody to, to probably take his place either at tight end or maybe another position, which we'll talk about a little bit later towards the end of this episode. But you know, injuries starting to pick up a little bit where Green Bay had been very lucky early in camp where it was only four or five guys. And remember too, like Rashawn Gary's not doing team right now. Jair's not doing team right now. 
now. And, you know, a handful of those guys aren't going to play in preseason in week two either. So again, no emergency. Your numbers aren't, you know, brutally bad where it's like panic mode, uh, but they are starting to pile up just a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Jordan Love at practice on Monday. He officially went eight of, or I guess unofficially went eight of 12 with no touchdowns, one interception that is per Bill Huber, who again, always does such a phenomenal job over at Sports Illustrated of tracking his numbers every single day. I try to get out all the things that happened and uh, you know, other people do uh, a much better job of actually tracking statistics throughout the day, uh, but eight of 12, zero touchdowns, one interception. Let's go over the good first and then we'll go over the bad. So the, the good news is he had an awesome throw down the field to Christian Watson, hit him perfectly. Watson did a great job of separating. I couldn't tell if it was a deep out or like a corner out or a deep cross or what it was, but it was right along the sidelines. Watson got good separation and Jordan Love hit him right on the money perfectly in stride. I thought up until the last play, which we'll talk about in just a moment, he continued to make the correct reads, know where to go with the ball. Again, up until the last play, keep the ball out of harm's way. Uh, but he did have that last play, which we'll talk about. He had a great throw to Romeo Dobbs downfield. Unfortunately, Dobbs had dropped that specific throw, but it was a really nice throw on that play. He hit Jaden Reed in stride for a really nice gain, and he generated another free play by using a hard count and getting the defense to jump offside. So still some really good stuff. And again, eight of 12 is nothing to, to sneeze at either. That's a 75% completion percentage. So you know, you're feeling pretty good with that overall. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you're looking at this day, you know, on the whole, there, there was certainly some things that you would like to get cleaned up as well. Uh, let's talk about those. So you had the overthrow on Jaden Reed on the very first throw of practice. So just a really quick short play to Jaden Reed and, and, you know, Jordan just completely sailed it. First throw of the day. All right. You know, maybe give some accident forgiveness there, but he also missed a wide open Romeo Dobbs down the field later. It was another deep crossing route. Those have been a bit of an issue for Jordan and just making sure he's hitting those receivers in stride. That was another one he missed. You could tell, you know, he wanted that one back right after the throw. He did hit Christian Watson in stride over the middle of the field. In a real game, that would have been a, you know, what you call a hospital ball. You know, Razul Douglas would have been able to lay him the heck out and it would have been, you know, probably not a great result for Christian Watson, but you know, Christian Watson made a nice play, made the catch, and Razul did a really nice job of just laying up and and not hurting his teammate. Uh, but that's one that Jordan's got to make sure he's careful of if it's an actual game situation. And then the last throw of the day, Jordan's become extremely you know efficient at throwing the the quick out routes and even some of the intermediate and deep out routes. It seems like that's sort of his throw that he really really likes. He's been going to it quite a bit, however. And based on, you know, Romeo's split, what Christian Watson said, or excuse me, what uh, Carrington Valentine said after practice, uh, talking to the media, basically like he said, he didn't know the play for sure, but based on the, you know, on the split that he was given and uh, basically the situation, he had a feeling that Jordan might throw the out on that play. Carrington Valentine did a tremendous job of jumping the route, picking it off, and it ended up being an 80-yard pick six to end practice. So that's one Jordan would like to have back. You got to make sure that you've got vision on where you're going with the ball, making sure that you're judging where the defensive back is and if he's going to have the opportunity to break on the ball. Jordan did not do that on the play. Like I said, he, I think he went to the well maybe one time too often trying to hit that out route along the sideline. Valentine right at the entire way, picked it off, made a phenomenal play and took it again, 80 yards for a touchdown. I think the, the real thing that I'd like to see here 
is, you know, basically Jordan stacks success from practice to practice. So every single practice, there's been a couple throws that he's missed. Every single practice has had a few, you know, really nice throws and a couple wild throws here and there. Usually a couple drops, unfortunately, by his receivers mixed in. A lot of really good reads. Usually he's been taking great care of the football. Again, this one, of course, he had the pick six, but what I haven't seen yet is him have a really great day of practice and then follow it up with another really great day of practice. And that's what I really want to see Jordan take that next step with is start putting days together where you're like, okay, those were two really great days in a row. And he's really starting to get in a rhythm a little bit more. And there's moments like, you know, when he ended family night five of five and, you know, those sort of things where you'll see him go on stretches where he gets a little bit more on fire and, and, and starts feeling himself and having some great accuracy He's had multiple really great days of practice, just haven't necessarily seen him get stretched together. And that's, I think, the next step in his progression through the remainder of training camp is, is starting to, again, the, the old Mike McCarthy stack success day after day. Uh, let's move on, though, to Carrington Valentine. He uh, you know, overall had a solid day of practice, practicing with the ones, taking Jair Alexander's place in team activities. He has the pick six to end practice. This is a player who has shown up since day one, rookie mini camps, mini camps, OTAs, training camp, joint practice with the Bengals, knocking passes away from Jamar Chase, preseason game interception, two pick six now in, in training camp overall. He's been nothing short of phenomenal. I, I mentioned on Twitter he's not only in the conversation for best rookie in camp, which is highly contested because Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave, amongst others, Carl Brooks, have been really, really good. Valentine's to me probably in the lead of that group. He's also in the conversation for best player in camp so far with the plays that he is making. He has been sticky in coverage. He's been good against the ones, good against the twos. As I mentioned, good against the Bengals and Jamar Chase, back, batting balls away, two pick sixes. Like I don't know what more you want from him at this point. He has been nothing short of spectacular and a revelation as a seventh round pick. And here's what I will say. The, the question now with Carrington Valentine, I, I saw somebody post on Twitter something like, you know, Green Bay's really got to make sure they keep him. That that discussion is over with. Over, done with, signed, sealed, delivered. Carrington Valentine is making this team. He is going nowhere. Seventh round pick or not, he, he has a 53-man roster spot locked up all over. Like, no question. Lock and key, throw it away. Doesn't matter what happens from here on out. He's going to make the 53-man roster. But now the question becomes how do you get this guy on the field? Because if he continues this in any capacity and you really want your best 11 players on the field, you got to find a way to get him on the field. So let's talk about that for a moment, because I think the first thing we need to do is look at the options. All right. What, what options exist to get Carrington Valentine on the field more barring an injury? Now I'm going to take for this moment right here, I'm going to take Eric Stokes out of the equation for a couple of reasons. A, we just don't know when he's going to come back and what he's going to look like when he comes back and what kind of snap count he's on when he comes back and those sort of things. So it could be a while. Who knows? The second thing is it just complicates things even more when Stokes is back. So let's even just put that to the side right now and go over how complicated just this conversation is even before Eric Stokes gets back in the fold, right? So your options to get Carrington Valentine on the field, and we're talking mostly nickel situations here, right? You can move Razul, meaning you can put him in the slot or him at safety, and you can put Carrington Valentine on the outside with Jair Alexander. 
then Razul maybe in the slot or Razul at safety. So your options there would basically be Valentine, Jair outside, Razul in the slot, and then your two safeties, or Jair in, and Valentine outside, Nixon in the slot with Razul and another safety at the safety position. That certainly goes a long way into getting your best 11 on the field or your best five defensive backs on the field. However, it does a horrible job of utilizing Razul at what he does best, and I would not go in this direction at all. I do not think safety or slot are his positions. I think he is a outside press man corner through and through. He can play some some off ball, you know, zone coverage as well, but he the, he needs to be on the outside. I mean, you're talking about two totally different Razul Douglases when he is outside, confident, playing man cover, or just even just playing his man on the outside. He is a baller and he is confident and he has swagger and he looks like a big time player at that position. Everywhere else just doesn't feel natural at all. So you are doing him and I think your team a disservice by putting Razul anywhere besides outside corner. So that is not a option that I personally like. The next one, and Peter Bukowski proposed this one on Twitter, and it's it's at least worth mentioning here, is that do you look at potentially moving Keyshawn Nixon to safety? So that one becomes a little bit more complicated as well because you still have Razul, who's an outside corner, Jair, who's an outside corner, and Carrington Valentine, who's an outside corner. So I'll talk about that more in just a moment, but I don't think that that necessarily solves the problem for you. I don't mind if you want to give him some snaps there and see what he can do in that position, but I don't think it solves the problem of necessarily getting Carrington Valentine on the field more. In fact, I would still say in your you know general nickel situation where you've got a slot and it's a you know potential rundown, I still think your best option there is probably Keyshawn Nixon. So I wouldn't necessarily do that either. Your next option is you just move Jair to the slot. A couple things here. A, I think there's a lot of situations, especially if you're going against Justin Jefferson or some premier wide receivers, that you just want to be able to move Jair wherever the heck that that wide receiver is playing, right? So you don't want to just put him on the slot. You want to be able to move him around. The second thing, and I've talked about this on numerous occasions, is on base nickel downs, which I would consider like, let's just say this, nickel is your base formation now, right? You're going to play probably 80% nickel, and but there's a variety of different nickel packages that you have. But on early nickel downs where running the ball is a real legitimate possibility, your first and tens, your second and sevens, or second and fives, whatever it may be, like those sort of situations, they're going to run the ball a ton. And I don't like the first thing that opposing teams are going to do if they see Jair lined up in the slot in those situations, we're going to run right at Jair Alexander over and over and over and over again. And it's not just simply because like they think they're going to have success doing it, but they are going to wear that guy down. And the last thing you want as a Packers organization is to take your all pro first team corner and instead of him being a shutdown guy on the outside, like have teams just run at him in the slot all over and over and over and over again, where Jair has to take on tight ends and pulling guards and pulling centers and tackles and fullbacks, etc., and then make plays on running backs like Derrick Henry or that are built like, you know, bulldozers, right? That's not where you want Jair, especially with the shoulder issues that he's had in the past. That's just a lot of wear and tear for that type of player. So I really don't want to see Jair in the slot as a primary nickel slot corner. I don't think that that's best for anyone either. And then the last option that you really have is Carrington Valentine, right? Can you put him in the slot or can you move him to safety? And the first thing I would say is like, this guy's balling out at corner and and you want to make sure as a rookie that he really gets his feet underneath him and really has the confidence to play where he plays best. I don't think you want to move him to safety. I'm not against starting to get him some snaps in the slot just to see like, hey, 
maybe he can. And and sometimes you might look at it and be like, dude, this guy's an outside corner. Like, what are we doing here? But I think there is a underrated value for some players where they're just going to be good almost wherever you put them. And Keyshawn Nixon, to some extent, has been a great example of that, right? Put me at kick returner, I'm going to be great. Punt returner, I'm going to be great. Special teams, I'm going to be great. Corner, I'm going to, yeah, we'll see what he ends up being at corner, but I can I can play that too. You probably play some safety. You can probably play some wide receiver. You could probably put him at running back. Like Keyshawn Nixon just has that ability to be like, put me wherever and I'm going to find a way to succeed. And maybe Carrington Valentine has that as well. We don't know. And until we see him in the slot, we just don't know if he's going to be able to hang there or not. He might just be competitive enough and have enough swagger and, and feistiness and everything else to be like, hey, this might not be my best spot, but I'll find a way to make it work no matter what. The issue here is you you could potentially stunt his growth and progression as well. I mentioned this in the quick hits, but you go back to Josh Jackson, right? Josh Jackson was a off-ball zone corner in college primarily, and Green Bay brought him in his rookie year, played him in the slot in a lot of man-to-man situations, a situation that he had no right being in, and a situation where he was completely set up to fail. He didn't have the foot quickness inside. He didn't have the man-to-man cover skills. He wasn't well-versed in that type of coverage. It just it was completely setting him up for failure, and he never got confidence. He got beat consistently, and he may have failed eventually anyway, but that certainly set him up for a very poor first start in a lot of lack of confidence and probably feeling like he couldn't hold his own in the league at that spot. So you want to set your players up for success. And I would ideally like to see Carrington Valentine on the outside and probably not in the slot. But like I said, I wouldn't hate if they at least tried it out to see like, hey, can, can he make it work in some capacity? But he, here's the thing. In in all actuality, you probably have just three really good outside corners, right? You've got Razul, Jair, and Valentine. And at some point, that stuff probably just ends up working itself out, whether it's due to injuries or whatever. And you're probably going to have to use a variety of those guys throughout the course of the season anyway. But the other thing to note here is you do have a variety of formations. And let's just go over them really quick, right? In, in, in certain situations, the whole situation is, is a moot point. For example, in base defense, you're going to have two, like a true base defense, a 3-4 defense. You're going to have two corners out on the field. That's going to be Razul and Jair anyway, right? So you don't have Keyshawn Nixon in the slot. There is no slot corner. There's no third corner. And you're not taking Razul and Jair off the field in that situation. So that one doesn't really affect Carrington Valentine anyway. Hello, friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA Finals, and I desperately wanted to go to Game 6 in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane, and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Now, thankfully, the day of the game I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used Game Time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using Game Time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the Game Time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can get images of your seat before you buy, you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two clicks only in fact, and tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never need to dig through your email. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. 
You also have big nickel. What big nickel is, is two corners on the outside and then two safeties deep and then a safety usually in that slot position. In that situation, Carrington Valentine or you know whatever third corner you have is not in the discussion anyway either. In that situation, probably like a Darnell Savage in the slot, maybe it's Arvarius Moore and then you know two of your safeties playing deep, but Carrington Valentine not really or any third corner not in the conversation there either. You've only got two corners on the field and again, that's going to be Razul and Jair Alexander. You also have dime, which is four corners. And in that situation, it's almost always an obvious passing down. So there you feel comfortable having Jair and Keyshawn in the slot and Carrington and Razul on the outside just works itself out naturally. Quarters or dollar or anything else after that is going to have multiple corners on the field and going to allow you to put Carrington Valentine out there as well. There are some formations though that I think maybe you could get, or at least are worth a discussion in figuring out what you want to do. Base nickel is the one we just talked about, and I don't have a perfect solution there. But I, if I had to guess right now, I think in base nickel, you're still sticking with Nixon in the slot, Jair and Razul on the outside, and then your two safeties, and Carrington Valentine is just not in that formation. So the next question then becomes, all right, what do you do to, to get him on the field? And I think there's two situations that make a lot, at least one situation that's a possibility and one that makes a lot of sense. The first is potentially goal line defense. So in goal line defense, you're obviously you know right at the goal line. It's obviously a short yardage situation. It's a it's primarily run situations or maybe some play action stuff. And a lot of times, if you do have corners on the field, you're, you're not putting your smaller corners out there. So you could look at maybe saying, hey, in goal line situations, especially when there's so many tight ends out there, we're, we're not going to put Jair out there. We don't even want him in those situations. Like we can save him for a few plays in goal line, and we're going to put Razul and Carrington Valentine as our corners in goal line. Like you could theoretically do that. That would be a way to at least get Valentine on the field a little bit. And he's a little bit more you know, physical and tall. And, and again, maybe that's a way to save Jair from a couple plays of, of goal line run physical defense, right? So that's one way to potentially get him on the field. The other, and the, the situation that I think makes a ton of sense here is what I will call obvious passing down nickel situation. So we already talked about any obvious passing, you know, dime situations, quarters, dollar, whatever you use, Carrington's going to be in there almost no matter what anyway. But what I would consider obvious passing situation, nickel situation. So there are plenty of third and longs, second and longs, et cetera, where your nickel defense is still on the field and you want, you know, it's an obvious passing down, right? In those situations, I think it makes sense to put Jair in the slot with Valentine and Razul on the outside and take Keyshawn Nixon out of the game. There's two reasons for that. A, I think it's giving you your best three cover corners in Razul, Carrington, Valentine, and Jair Alexander. So I think that gives you a leg up because they're, they're passing the ball and you want your best coverage guys out there. And right now, I wholeheartedly believe that Valentine is a better cover man than what Keyshawn Nixon is. That's just getting your best guys out on the field. But there's another bonus here too. I think one of the big questions with Keyshawn Nixon going into this season is, are you going to be able to keep him fresh enough to be special teams, kick returner, punt returner, base defense, 80% of the snaps, whatever, like every single nickel defense that's in there. I think if you take him out of the nickel packages that are obvious passing downs, what are those situations? Like those are usually your third and long situations, right? And what does that give you the opportunity to do? That allows you to take him off the field in those situations and get him ready to go be a punt returner so he doesn't have to play you know, consecutive plays right before he's going back, maybe five, six, seven, eight plays before he's going back to return a punt, right? So in those situations, I think that gives Nixon a little breather and then allows him to go back and be punt returner if you want him to do that. And then in the meantime, it gets your best cover guys on the field. So if it were me, 
That's how I get Carrington Valentine on the field. There's a lot of different situations and circumstances that we just talked about and went over, but I want to see him in the obvious passing down situations, get Keyshawn off the field, allow him to get ready for punt returns, put Jair in the slot. You don't have him taking on tight ends or running backs. If there's one or two here or there, you don't really care about it. You just don't want him taking that wear and tear over a 17, maybe plus game season. And then you put Carrington and Razul on the outside. So different options, but that's the one that I like the most for Valentine moving forward. All right. Other notes from practice. Grant Dubose, really nice day. Speaking of Carrington Valentine, who was awesome and had the pick six again, Dubose did get the best of them on a deep play in one-on-ones. Now, as I will always say, the, the, the wide receivers have a massive advantage in one-on-ones, but it has not been easy to get the best of Carrington Valentine in those. Dubose beat him deep. It looked like Valentine thought Dubose was maybe going to cut it off, maybe anticipated it a little bit, and Dubose just kept going and uh, made the really nice catch in the end zone, sliding catch. Valentine was pretty tight in coverage, but Dubose had a half step and made the most of it and caught the pass for a touchdown. Again, those are just in one-on-ones. He had a great contested catch against uh, Keandre Thomas. A couple of really nice short completions where he gained nice separation. And then a deep post over the middle of the field. Great route, great catch. Really, really nice day for Grant Dubose. Had a really nice day the, the prior day as well, including catching a touchdown in red zone period. So just when you sort of thought like, hey, Malik Heath's going to run away with this number six spot and, and maybe Dubose is, is you know in the conversation at some point simply because he was a draft pick. Well, now Dubose is starting to make some noise. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if they really consider going with seven wide receivers. Anders Carlson, meanwhile, another difficult day. He missed an extra point to start his kicking day. Then he made two field goals after that. Then he missed, or then sorry, then he made an extra point, missed a field goal, and then made a field goal at the end. So he was four of six at that point. He did end well. Uh, primarily there, there was a, a, a period at the end where the offense had the ball at like right around midfield. They had to get into field goal range. There was only like 12 seconds left. They got into field goal range, spiked the ball, gave uh, Anders a 51-yard opportunity to tie the game, and he crushed that one 51-yarder good to tie the game at the end in a clutch situation. So that was good to see, but still five of seven on the day, including a missed extra point. So the struggle is real right now for Anders. I know they're going to continue to try to develop him and find a way to get him consistent, but it has been a big struggle throughout training camp so far. Meanwhile, Christian Watson, very nice day. We talked about the 20 plus yard deep route that he had. He also had that catch over the middle that would have been a murder ball uh, and and contested by Rizul Douglas, but he still caught it in stride, made the play. He was dominant in one-on-ones. And the big thing I'll say about Christian is you can really start seeing him make things easy. And at least it's coming easy to him. There were times where like you could tell that he was maybe thinking a little bit in the past or having some of those nerves or whatever, he's starting to just play wide receiver and things are looking so easy for him. And that's when you really have to start looking out if you're an opposing defense is this guy is far too talented. And if the game starts slowing down for him, which it seems like it is a little bit, look out. I am very excited about Christian Watson. and, And I thought this was a very, very nice practice for him. All right. Some miscellaneous news and notes. Uh, Matt LaFleur on Anthony Johnson Jr. prior to practice said, quote, I think he's done a great job. You can certainly see his speed, his athleticism. He made plays on teams, which is absolutely critical. He loves football. I'm paraphrasing there a bit. He's totally invested into it and he's done a really, really nice job for us. So some really big words of praise for Anthony Johnson Jr. He did rotate in a little bit with the ones again on practice on, on Monday. 
still nothing serious. It still certainly looks like your your top safeties, Rudy Ford, Tavarius Moore, Jonathan Owens, who was with the ones again, and Darnell Savage, who was with the ones again, are your ones really competing for that number one spot. But Anthony Johnson Jr. starting to get a little, little bit more playing time. I think he's a really good bet to make the roster as a seventh round pick. He's the, really the only guy under contract going into next year that's at the safety position. So We'll see, but I, I think he's trending in the right direction. Had a couple special teams tackles in the game on Friday as well. So trending up for Anthony Johnson Jr. Yash Nyman was back at left tackle with the ones, although Rashid Walker did rotate in as well. There were basically two number one offensive lines on the day. The first one was Yash Nyman, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, John Runyon Jr., and Zach Tom. And then it looks like they've tried to get Elton Jenkins a little bit more rest lately. He's still been practicing every day, but maybe not giving him that full workload. So the second uh, number one offensive line was Rashid Walker at left tackle, Zach Tom at left guard, Myers at center, Runyon at right guard, and Yash Nyman at right tackle. It's really been Myers playing a ton with the ones at center lately. I, I think, you know, he's still got to do... Uh, I don't think job's done yet in earning that number one spot, but it certainly seems to be trending that, you know, he's going to be probably the the opening day center. And it would seem to be trending as well, especially with Yash getting demoted to the B team on, on Sunday, that it looks like Zach Tom's going to probably be that right tackle, right? So if I had to guess today, starting lineup week one, barring injuries, you know, I, I would very much expect it to be Bakhtiari. Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, John Runyon Jr., and Zach Tom going from left to right. Colby Wooden and Carl Brooks both shot into, into the backfield and made plays again. Carl Brooks on a run stop, Colby Wooden on a would-be sack, an extremely explosive play getting into the backfield in like what seemed like a half a second. He was back there in no time, beat Kadeem Telford on the play. Meanwhile, two more fumbled exchanges Two more fumbled exchanges. It is insane. I've never seen anything like this. Now, the good news is, is these are the number threes that had him on this specific day. And that's what it's been more as of late is not the starters. It's been the, the number twos or number threes. But Cole Schneider to Alex Magoo and Jake Hansen to Alex Magoo, both fumbled exchanges. Like, it is getting unbelievable. And I think we're legitimately at at least one, if not over one, uh, fumbled exchange per practice on average at this point through training camp, which is just mind-numbing how that continues to happen. Both of them in team drills too, which is what it's been. So absolutely crazy. I don't know what how to even like quantify that or say like how that's happening. It's been all different players, all different QB center exchanges. There's no rhyme or reason. Like they practice it every day. I have no idea, no idea, but it is crazy how often it has happened. And I want to talk about two plays for Sean Clifford really quick, who continues to be extremely impressive. There was a play on with the number twos, uh, clearly because Sean Clifford was in, but um, he had immediate pressure in his face. And I mean, immediate pressure. And he faded away off his back foot, put a ball on the line on a, a short comeback route to Malik Heath. He had vision on it. He had the wherewithal to make space for himself and then had enough arm strength on it to get it to Malik Heath uh, without any contested issues. That was an impressive play because that should have been a sack or like just nothing doing. And the fact that he knew where to go with the ball, how to make sure to get that ball off and then throw from a really tough platform and angle and get the mustard on it needed to get that ball to Malik Heath. That was a really impressive play. And then I want to walk through the, the last series as well. So again, it's around like the 50-yard line. There's 12 seconds left, no timeouts. They're down by three. And basically, you've got you know one play to try to get into field goal range. And then you're probably going Hail Mary after that if you can't get into field goal range. But 
Uh, with the number ones, what they did is they handed the ball off to Aaron Jones and he like got like eight yards and kneeled down to to like make the play done, handed the ball to the ref. The ref got the ball placed. They got the ball spiked with two seconds left. So the play took 10 seconds, got the ball spiked, got the field goal unit out there. And that was the 51 yarder that Carlson made to tie the game. So well executed by the ones. The twos, it, you know, you kind of knew they weren't going to hand off again because the, the number ones just did it. So you figure they're going to pass. They went quarterback draw by Sean Clifford. So you also had the running back able to block. Now the defense did a good job. I believe it was Brenton Cox who made the stop on the play. They did a really good job of corralling it quickly. And then, you know, it probably needed to be like Clifford probably needed to get down sooner to have enough time to spike the ball. But here's what really impressed me. All right. So they get the ball to the ref. They're going and it's clearly a spike opportunity, right? So they get everything going and they need to get the ball spiked so that they can get the field goal opportunity out there. And it's, it's like two seconds, one second, and the ball is snapped. And I don't know how many times I've seen in both the NFL and in college football, the quarterback spike it. Cause it's the, everyone's like on the same page of like, we got to spike this ball. Right. But, and, but you don't have any time left. And it's like, you get it at one and you know, by the time you spike it, it's going to, the clock is going to be at zero, but it happens all the time. Clifford noticed it. He recognized it right away that he was not going to have the time to spike it. You know, he snapped it at one and then, and recognized like he knew where the clock was at and dropped back to pass and let his receivers get downfield for an opportunity at a Hail Mary rather than spiking it balls at zero games over. Now, there was, you know, he, he had to get rid of the ball quickly because I think every, you know, the offensive line was expecting a spike and things like that, but he's able to get a ball downfield to a wide receiver. It ends up, be, it probably should have been picked off, you know, either around the end zone or, or at the end zone, whatever it was, ball was eventually, you know, basically knocked away and, and, but there's still the wherewithal from Clifford to notice the timing of it and, and get a ball down the field. Cause who knows, maybe you get a pass interference, you know, whatever the case may be, maybe you get, maybe something breaks your way, but if you spike it, the game's just done. So I, I really liked the wherewithal from that because I've seen it a million times where quarterback just goes through the spike. Cause that's what he's supposed to do. And then it goes from one to zero on the play clock game is over. And then that's all there is to it. So nice awareness there by Sean Clifford on a couple plays. Brenton Cox showed up again. He had a run stop and a really nice sack, quote unquote, in the backfield as well in team activities. So he's been stacking success lately. Meanwhile, Green Bay is set to have five players work out on Tuesday for the team. You've got offensive tackle Trevor Reed, offensive tackle Adrian Ely, offensive tackle BJ Wilson, wide receiver Keontae Thompson, or Kateon Thompson, and then defensive back Zane Lewis. The one that stands out to me here, Trevor Reed, he was a player I really liked coming out of college, really high athleticism. Uh, He is extremely, and I mean extremely raw as a player. Philly gave him a really big signing bonus uh, to sign as an undrafted free agent with him. They recently released him. Not sure what happened that they released him so early after giving him that that pretty big, it was like 110,000, which for an undrafted free agent is pretty significant. I think Green Bay's like biggest signing bonus, I, I don't know, was not even half of that for sure. But for an undrafted guy. And so that that is a player that caught my eye coming out of college that I was impressed by, but is again, super raw. And he's probably more of like a, a practice squad candidate, but I think over time could develop into something. I'm hoping that that's the guy that they sign. They do have uh, some depth issues along the offensive line because you know Bakhtiari's not going to play in the preseason game. Tanuta's not going to play. It looks like Caleb Jones is not trending in the right direction to play. 
They, they need some depth along the offensive line. Reed can play some tackle. I think you could also kick inside to guard a little bit. So we'll see. They Again, they have three offensive tackles being brought in, including Reed, Adrian Ely, and BJ Wilson. We'll see if they sign any of them. Interestingly enough, no tight ends brought in. I thought for sure, I thought for sure by, by Monday, they'd have a tight end signed, much less, you know, uh, you know, no tryouts. Like that is very surprising to me, but we'll see what happens on Tuesday. My guess is we're going to get some transactions in some way, shape or form uh, on Tuesday, probably Trevor, or, um, you know, Tyler Davis going on IR and then maybe Trevor Reed signed or one of those other players and maybe even a couple more. Last thing, a couple things, uh, Delvin Cook signed with the Jets, not relevant for the Packers, but could potentially mean that the Jets finish with a better record. They got a better player, better run. You know, Brees Hall, we'll see when he's able to come back, but it's a big pickup for them and could potentially give them a little bit better record, which could potentially hurt Green Bay's draft choices. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. It also could give them more impetus to run the ball and maybe give Aaron less opportunity to get hurt throwing the ball. So maybe it's more likely that Aaron hits that 65% mark, which is a positive as well. But that'll be worth keeping an eye on. And last but not least, an off day on Tuesday, just a walkthrough for the team. It is not open to the media or to the public. And then they will have joint practices on Wednesday and Thursday with the New England Patriots. And we'll get a look at Zeke Elliott as a member of the New England Patriots who just signed on Monday. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate all the kind words lately, all the support, all the likes, all the comments, all the subscriptions. It hasn't gone unnoticed. Love you guys. I'll see you soon. But until next time, and as always, go Paco.